Well, it was the fall of 1984, one year after my wife George and I were married, that I accepted a job at Peppertree Stock Farm in Hemet, California. Now, now the pay wasn't that good, but they did provide housing. And so my bride and I moved into a converted horse barn. They actually took two horse stalls. They made one the living room, the kitchen, a little bathroom, and the other one our bedroom. In fact, in our bedroom stall, it actually had a window that we could look into the other horse stall during foaling season. Now, for you city folks, you got to follow along. Now, foals are little baby horses, and during foaling season, we would put mares in the other stall, and so we would just check on them every hour to see if they were beginning to have the little baby, and if they were, we would go help them. And this actually was a thoroughbred horse ranch, a breeding farm. We had two stallions at stud. Patron, his his stud fee was $7,500 Tell his stud fee was $12,000. He was insured for over a million dollars. In fact, the mares that would come to the farm had to be of good quality. They had to have a good pedigree. We would not just let any mare be bred to the stallions on the farm. In fact, they were, they were really expensive mares. We had a mare on the stock farm owned by Burt Bacharach, who wrote the song, Raindrops Keep Falling on my head. We had a mare on the farm owned by David Cassidy of the Partridge family fame. Again, it was important. Genealogies and pedigrees. And when it comes to human families, bloodlines and genealogies can also be important. In fact, most of us probably know a famous relative or two from our background. My grandma Aldridge spent 30 years writing a three-volume genealogy of the Aldridge family. And this was back in the day, before the internet. I mean, her grandpa, my grandpa, and my grandma would travel the country. They would spend all summer going state to state, library to library. They would look up old obituaries and, and use microfilm and look up the old newspaper clippings. And she finally pieced together a three-volume genealogy of our family. She told me when I was a little boy that the first Aldridge emigrated to America in 1628. That somehow or another were related to the 15th King of Scotland and the 24th King of England. The the one I'm most proud of, though, is we have an uncle, a great, 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 I forget how many greats, uncle that actually died in the Alamo with Davy Crockett. He was a Tennessee volunteer. And my youngest son, Garrett, actually went to college in Texas at Sam Houston State University. And I mean, that gives you credibility in Texas if you have an uncle that died in the Alamo. We had relatives who fought both for the Union Army and the Civil War and the Confederacy. Now, once I became a Christian when I was 18 years old, I asked my grandma, Grandma, do we have any Christians in our background? Because my parents weren't Christians, my grandparents weren't Christians, my great-grandparents weren't Christians. We come from a long line of pagans. And so I was like, Grandma, do we have a Christian? And she's like, yeah, we do. Way back we had a preacher who was also a horse thief and hung for it. I was like, well, okay. Pedigrees are interesting, right? They help us know where we come from. And in some cultures, they still determine where we are going. 
And just as every child has a pedigree, so did the Christ child. In fact, the title of this sermon this morning is A Christmas Pedigree. I want to read the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadad. Abinadad, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amnon. Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shatil, Shatil, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Elakim, Elakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Methan, Methan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, and 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Verse 1 states a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And I remember when I took the Gospel of Matthew class from Brother Mark Scott, he pointed out that it's interesting here that Matthew lists David before Abraham and presents the genealogy in three divisions of 14 generations. 14 being the numerical value of the name David, thus emphasizing Jesus' lineage to the Davidish kingdom. See, Matthew's purpose, right, in this gospel was to present Jesus as the Messiah and the King of Israel. And thus, as one might expect, Jesus had a pedigree of royalty. He was related to the patriarchs, the fathers of the nation. Abraham, who answered God's call and believed God's promise. He was related to Isaac, the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And to Jacob, the father of the nation of Israel. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The great patriarchs were in his family lineage. He was also related to great kings. King David, the greatest and most famous king of Israel, who defeated Goliath. Who was victorious in battle over all the land. It would be like being related to great military leaders like MacArthur and Nimitz and Patton and Eisenhower. He was related to King Solomon, the wisest and richest king of Israel. Who built the temple of the Lord. 
And great leaders like Zerubbabel, who led the Jews out of Babylonian captivity, who rebuilt God's altar and rebuilt the temple, even under strong opposition, a man dedicated to his task. And yet, this is not the end of the story. For if it was, Jesus might seem kind of distant. It might seem hard to relate to someone who just had a heritage of royalty and wealth. You know, those families who seem to have it all together Those people whose families have influence in the community. They kind of live on the hill. And yet this is not the end of the story. For although Jesus does come from a pedigree of royalty, he also has relatives that I can relate to. Relatives with a shady past. Did you? Because not only does he have a pedigree of royalty, he comes from a pedigree of immorality. In verse 3, we note Tamar. Who because her father-in-law Judah withheld his son from her, dressed up like a prostitute and deceived him and became pregnant by him. Jesus is related to her. He's related, we see in verse 5, to Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho, who helped the Israeli spies escape capture. And in verse 6, we see Jesus is related to Bathsheba. It doesn't say Bathsheba, it says Uriah's wife. Whom King David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then had her husband Uriah, one of his mighty men, killed. And so thus, not only Jesus' birth, but those of his ancestors were surrounded in clouds of illegitimacy. Maybe some of you can relate to a background where the Christian sexual ethic, one that is other-centered and not self-centered, is unheard of. In your family, it was all about just whatever makes you happy. And so when you go home in a couple weeks for this Christmas break, you will have to walk that delicate balance between trying to spend time with your family and honoring God. I remember one time when my wife and I were the dorm parents of Williamson Hall. We served in that position for five years, but one Christmas, we visited my mom and her husband in North Carolina. One day after Christmas, their step-grandpa took my boys out to lunch. And little did I know he was taking them to Hooters. I mean, I guess they have good chicken wings or something, I don't know. But I realized that when they came home, and they're out in the front yard at my mom's house, throwing around a Hooters Frisbee. I mean, I walk out and I'm looking, I'm like, give me that, it has the Hooter Owl on it and everything. I'm like, we're not taking that back to Ozark Christian College, no. Threw that in the trash. Bought a different frisbee on the way home. I wouldn't have my boys throwing that around. Needless to say, they were upset. But I just had to negotiate my family and what God is calling us to do. A pedigree of immorality. So it's a pedigree of royalty Jesus has. A pedigree of immorality. And a pedigree of enmity. King Rehoboam he's related related to. The son of King Solomon who split the kingdom. Because of his hatred and mistreatment of his people. Jesus is related to King Jehoram. Who killed his six brothers. So that he could acquire the treasures and cities their father had given them. He's related to King Manasseh. One of the most evil kings. Who sacrificed his sons to foreign gods. See maybe you can relate to a situation. Where your immediate or extended family members. Have hated each other. For years, making the holidays a difficult time to navigate. 
And maybe as a follower of Jesus, you have forgiven family members for hurts they've caused to you. But there has not been reconciliation because that takes both parties. And they're not interested in reconciliation at all. If that's you, Jesus can relate. A pedigree of royalty and immorality and enmity and also then a pedigree of idolatry. He's related to King Rehoboam who set up high places to worship other gods. To Jehoram who rebelled against God. To Ahaz who built the altar from Damascus. Who removed the Lord's altar and and, and built this duplicate altar. That's Jesus' kin. To Manasseh who built altars to Baal in the temple. See many contemporary families worship at the altar of sex, drugs and rock and roll. It might be your family. They define success by worldly standards. They're going to ask you over holiday break. I mean, what can you do with the Bible college degree? What good is that? How much money can you make? You know, if you've been on a Tuesday tour, you've heard me tell the story of Strand Smith. And he's a world champion tie-down roper in the world of rodeo. Now, Now, if you're good at exegeting the culture, you should know that tonight is the eighth round of the National Finals Rodeo. It's been going on in Vegas all week. Where have you people been? A lot of tension. There's stress going on. And the reason I tell his story is because he's a Christian man. And his testimony is so compelling. When he was 24 years old, he had a chance to win the world championship. And his traveling partner was killed in an accident. And he just emotionally couldn't get it done that year. When he was 34 years old, he had a chance to win the world championship again. And he suffered a stroke at 34 years old. He went through the rehab four years later. 2008 is the year he wins the world championship in tie-down roping at the National Finals Rodeo in Las Vegas. And he's being interviewed on ESPN afterwards. And he's just giving glory to God. He's like, God's timing is perfect. And then he made this statement. He goes, you know, I don't know what type of champion I would have been if I would have won it at 24 years old. I don't know if I was mature enough. And then he made this statement. He said, because I've never wanted my ability to take me where my character could not keep me. And that's, that's, I've always remembered that. And I, and I challenge students that come on a Tuesday tour by saying so many of you have athletic ability and academic ability and music ability. You might have scholarships to go to other schools. But the question is, do you have the godly character to keep you where that God-given ability will take you? Because I know people that have grown up in church, I mean, serving God, and then they take a scholarship. They're playing sports someplace else. You ask about them a year later and how's so-and-so doing? And they're like, oh man, they got sucked into the party scene. They're not honoring God with their life because they had the ability but not the character. And I always say, just to be fair, we've had students come to Ozark Christian College who have a charismatic personality, a natural ability to communicate. And then we hear about them five years after they graduate and they had a moral failure because they might have had God-given ability but they did not spend the time developing the Christ-like character. See, Ozark Christian College is about developing Christ-like character that you would become like Jesus. So no matter where you go with your God-given ability, you can honor him. I'm I'm a little concerned, though, about my four-year-old granddaughter. A couple months ago, we were at the house and, and we were watching her and she talks, talk, 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 all the time. She has a phenomenal vocabulary. She really does. It got it was about 10 o'clock at night. 
And my wife, Georgia, was finally like, Oakley, you're done. You're Stop talking. Sit on the couch. Your parents will be home in an hour. Just sit right there. Grandma's going to go take a shower. You sit right there and don't say another word. And so she said, Grandma leaves. I'm sitting in my chair watching the news, evening news. As soon as Grandma leaves, she's like, Grandpa, I'm going to talk, but God will forgive me, right? I was like, well, Oakley, I mean, God will forgive you, but you're not supposed to plan your sin. That doesn't honor God. This is a four-year-old. That doesn't honor God. And she was like, well, nobody's perfect. I'm like, heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. A pedigree of idolatry. But see, we also see that Jesus comes from a pedigree of ethnicity. In his family lineage is Tamar, the daughter of a Canaanite. And Rahab, the prostitute, was a resident of Jericho. And Ruth was from Moab. And Bathsheba was married to a Hittite and thereby considered one. See, the Messiah, the king of Israel, had foreign blood in his pedigree. He was not 100% Jewish. And maybe that's your background. Maybe it's a diverse, multi-ethnic background to be celebrated. We see that in the Messiah. Or maybe some of you can relate to a situation where the unwritten code in your family was not to date interracially. And you come from a Christian family. The irony of that position is that the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the King of Israel, the church, has interracial blood in his background. A pedigree of ethnicity. And then finally, a pedigree of laity. Right? Jesus' father, Joseph, was a carpenter, a blue-collar worker, a righteous and godly construction worker. And so that means if Jesus and his family were here today, they would not be driving a Prius. They'd be driving a pickup, probably a dually. I mean, they're construction workers, blue-collar workers. We see that. And what, And yet when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, He had decided in his mind to divorce her quietly. And yet when the angel appeared and told him what was in her, the baby was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was obedient to the word of God. And Mary was a pure and godly woman who found favor with God. Who when she heard that she was conceived of the Holy Spirit, she said, I am the Lord's servant and believe nothing is impossible with God. She was a woman of reflection. She pondered these things in her heart. She was a woman of worship. She wrote a song that we see in the Gospel of Luke. Mary and Joseph were common people. They presented their child at the temple to have him dedicated. And when they sacrificed, they sacrificed two doves because they could not afford a bull or a goat. They were a young couple trying to make a start. My wife and I, when we became residence directors at Williamson Hall, she was 27 years old. I was 28 it was my freshman year at Ozark, our head RA, John Jordan at the time was 29. And we were just this young couple and we were just trying to serve God. And Williamson Hall at the time, it, it needed to be reformed. It was a little crazy. In fact, the first year we were there, one of the rooms on first floor caught fire. And it was like smoke was just going through the whole dorm. At two in the morning, guys were banging on the dorm apartment door saying, Dad, get up, there's a fire. And I'm thinking, you guys, if you're just messing with me, I'm going to kill you. Like I open the door, smoke is in the lobby. It's like we had to evacuate the whole dorm. And we were out there, it was cold and snowy. And the fire department came, we're out sitting out there at three in the morning. Thinking, oh man, is this what God called us to? 
It was just because of a prank that the room caught fire. I remember talking to Greg Hafer a couple days later, who was the dean of men. He was my boss and just, you know, kind of just sharing my frustration and just, I don't know, you know, just we're young and this is crazy. And, and he told me a story. He said, you know, think about this, Doug. When the God, the holy creator, God of the world was searching the whole planet to find the couple that would raise up the savior of the world, they did not select a couple who had successfully raised 10 godly children. No, they chose, God chose a a teenage girl and the guy she was pledged to be married to because they were faithful to raise up the mere, the savior of the world, mere rookies at life. And see, when God looks at you, he's wants faithfulness, faithfulness. It doesn't matter your age. It matters if you're faithful. He put Jesus in their hands. Well, in our text this morning, we have seen the Christmas pedigree is one of royalty and immorality, of enmity, idolatry, ethnicity, and laity. We have seen that Jesus has a pedigree that is inclusive and not exclusive. That no matter what your personal or family background is, you can be part of the family of God. And no matter how dark your past, in Christ you can have a bright future. See, what's so redeeming about Christianity is that we find our identity in Christ and not our earthly pedigree. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2 verse 6, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. You see, our identity is found in Christ, and it's our identity that determines our behavior, our actions, and then really our, our feelings, our emotions can flow healthy from there. But in our world, if we look to the world, it's all about how I feel. My emotions determine my behavior. And then we get our identity from that. This is how I feel. This is what I do. I guess that's who I am. But that's antithetical to the, to the vision we have in scripture. We are called to find our identity in Christ. And then that, let that, not our emotions, but let our identity in Christ guide our behavior. And then that, let that affect how we feel about ourselves in the world. And so as we gather together with our family and friends this holiday season, let's not let our worldly pedigrees overshadow our Christmas pedigree, one of hope in Christ Jesus. Thanks.